Blog Talk Radio. during the game. <laughs> I heard about it. I've heard about it many times. <laughs> I, I was I hadn't noticed it yet. I was sitting there and I'm like, hold on, wait a second. I had to turn the volume up on on the TV. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, they yep, yep, they're playing it. <laughs> it was it brought nothing but happy thoughts. <laughs> Made my weekend. I'm, I'm I'm ready for the 2020 remix with Cooper Cup. <laughs> oh, God, Cooper, Cooper Cup. <laughs> hey, and I feel like Cup got bars. <laughs> I'm Mountain Man from West VA or whatever. <laughs> that can be, be Cup's part. Yeah. Anyway, we are back for another show. Man, we already on episode 13. This season is flying by. Episode 13, five games in. It's been a, it's been an interesting bumpy ride. The good uh, very weird weekend, but before we get to all that, how was your weekend? Would you, uh, I was, uh, back home, get you some, uh, sardines? I did not. I, 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 um, I did damage to my digestive system. And it's one of, it's one of those things where like, if you eat like that all the time, you know, and you can deal with oncoming obesity, that's one thing. But if you eat like healthy food, if you're eating, if you're drinking pomegranate cranberry tea, and you know you're hey, used to a relatively I won't <laughs> I won't say necessarily the healthiest lifestyle but if you're if you're living a 21st century you know advisable diet and then you go yeah. to Texas and you just get into you know animal parks <laughs> and fried everything and when you got when you're eating things called the fat smooth it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what that is. No, you don't even need a description. Like you know, it don't even matter what the hell that is. You know, you know more or less what it is. So it's one of yeah. those things where I didn't take any kind of like you know, Pepto or milk of magnesia or anything, and I can tell that uh, I'm gonna need a couple of days. I'm gonna need some you know colon cleanser or you know one of those. And I need some actual, some literal intestinal fortitude. Need some prune juice. <laughs> I knew you need some old, prune old juice. <laughs> they have some prune juice in the fat smooth. It's not. It's not doing its job. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm like, no, it was good. If, uh, for anybody confused, I, I'm from Dallas, Texas. I went down to Texas to bring my family to the state fair. If you've never seen the state fair of Texas, I invite everybody to go. They had a cool little uh, map in the middle of it. It's in downtown Dallas, just east of downtown Dallas, and they had a map where you could get a little red sticker, one of those little red dots that you used to have in, like, school. And you could put it on a map from where you're from. And I was honestly surprised at how many people were there that weren't from Texas and weren't even from the United States. It was clearly a a national, international, and international event, which is really cool because everybody can come together to get the fat smooth. And I think <laughs> everybody from from Japan to Uruguay should come to Dallas, Texas, and get you some fat smooth and everything else. It's a uh, – 
it's a culinary delight, but one that your primary health physician would probably advise against. You sound so proud. <laughs> Joe is anyway, a proud man today. <laughs> painfully proud. Like like I took I took one for the team. Like I'm I'm almost bent over, but I'm I'm as I'm getting carted off, I'm putting the thumb up. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this too shall pass. <laughs> hey, hey, if you're gonna go out, that's the way to do it. But speaking of pain, uh that's like the perfect lead way into this past weekend. Um the Rams they felt some pain this past weekend. It's almost like the the earth came crashing down with the, that loss to Seattle. Uh, what did you think about the game? So here's the thing. I missed a lot of the early game because I was stuck in traffic on the way back. I got back about halfway through the second quarter. So what what, what was interesting gotcha. was without the context of that first quarter and a half, it was kind of hard to know, you know, what, when you see a team getting away from the run, is it because they haven't run the ball well or is it because they're trying to establish? I, I lack the context of what, uh, the Rams had tried to do in the early scripted stuff and how they were adjusting. Uh, I saw, I was trying to follow along on Twitter while I was driving. Don't do as daddy does kids. Um, <laughs> I was, so I was trying to keep up with the game while I was on the way home, but it was clear that, and I wrote the game thread the night before. I don't know if you saw it, Myson, but I, essentially what I was trying to say was that as much as the Rams were playing Seattle, they were really playing a version of themselves. They were kind of playing their old, it was the old Star Wars um, Empire Strikes Back where Luke goes under the tree and he fights the fake Darth Vader. And when he slices his helmet open, it reveals that it is he himself on the inside. That was, that was kind of what was going on this weekend is that the yeah. Rams were playing themselves, except that the, their old selves were wearing Seattle Seahawks uniforms. And it was clear, I think, either by the results or by the process or however you want to put it, and maybe you're in better position to kind of explain this, that, that they lost to their former selves in, in not just a self-defeating way, but kind of a, almost a self-prophesied way. Like the, it's that idea <laughs> where you have yeah. to defeat your old self to become your new self, and the Rams five weeks into the Sean McVay era just aren't ready to do that. Yeah, no, that's actually the perfect analogy. And it's funny because it's it's like when you say, why did they get away from the run? You know, I I was wondering the same thing. And, and there's really no logical explanation considering the fact that the way they started off the game, they actually started off the game running the ball quite well. Todd Gurley came out his first touch of the game, went for like 12 yards or something. You know, he had a couple of back-to-back seven-yard runs. Tavon Austin had the 26, 27-yard touchdown. You know, like – the running game was actually working. There was there was really no reason for them to throw the ball over 40 times in this game, um, especially considering the fact that they was leading for the majority of the game. I mean, um, there was it didn't really make sense to uh, – they were leading or tied for the majority of the game, but they uh, it didn't really make sense for them to get away from the run. Uh, there was It was a good way to – a good opportunity to chew up clock. But then also, um, Jared Goff just didn't look good throwing the ball. You know, uh, that's what I think is the most alarming part. Um, You have a quarterback that's struggling. It wasn't a matter of pressure. And really quick, because I don't want to forget this point, I didn't put it down on the run sheet. The Rams' offensive line proved themselves to me. I said that this game was going to be something a game that proved a lot um, when we were talking about it last week. Um, The Rams' offensive line, more than anyone, proved something to me. Uh, I also realized that this team is not quite where everyone wants it to be, which was kind of my suspicion already. 
and it just kind of confirmed that. But it's not quite there yet. But the offensive line is indeed there. They just face one of the best fronts you're going to see in the entire NFL. You're talking about a front with uh, with um, Frank Clark and Michael Bennett and Sheldon Richardson. You know, like they just face one of the best in the NFL, and they didn't they didn't they didn't flinch. You know, um, and golf he was sacked twice, but one of those was definitely his fault for sure. <laughs> you know, right. um, and it wasn't a lot of pressure in his face. You know, so him him looking bad wasn't because the offensive line wasn't blocking and guys were getting to him. Him looking bad was just because he just looked bad. You know, he had a bad day at the office pretty much. Um, he was His throws were so far off the mark just in general, you know, and it was so up and down of a game for him. You know, he had some darts, you know, a couple of throws where he was just threatening the needle, putting it on the money. He was, he was stretching the field more than we've seen him do. He was really, really pushing it downfield, which was a bit of a shock considering the type of defense that Seattle plays. But um, there was no reason for him to even be in that situation to begin with. It was, that was the biggest shock to me is watching Sean McVay, who so far has proven to be good at adjusting. Um, I guess his game plan was no one's going to expect us to attack their secondary, so let's do that to try to catch him on guard. But then he never wavered. He never went to anything else. He just stuck with that. And that was that was the most alarming part to me is because it was like, okay, now we're seeing Sean McVay as Sean McVay, the rookie head coach, as opposed to Sean McVay, the, the golden child, you know, the, kid, the guy who comes in and yep. just looks like he's been doing it for a long time, which has been the case so far. But um, And I know you mentioned it before, but the uh, timeouts, that was um, – Though that was an issue. <laughs> there was a lot of timeouts yep. being used. Um, I felt like Sean McVay was thrown off of his game by Pete Carroll. You know, uh, Pete Carroll definitely kind of sort of got in his head. That was just what I'm kind of chalking up to as part of the reason why he threw the ball so much and got away from the run, which was working for him. And then also yeah. the opening drive fumble. When stuff like that happens, you sure. can usually tell it's going to be a long day. Um and we're going to talk about the fumble a little more because I know one of the fans' questions is they want clarity on why that's a touchback. So I'm going to go into much better depth on that later on. But the opening drive fumble, you move down the field with ease on the defense. You get down there. Ty Gurley reaches the ball out. Earl Thomas comes flying over, knocks it out, gets it out. Great play on Earl Thomas' part. But stuff like that, when it happens early on in the game, it usually is a sign that it's going to be a long day, you know. Um, defense was – Defense was good. <laughs> the defense was really good. Uh, and I, my question to you is, do you feel like that the defense was just that good, like they're finally starting to figure it out? They uh, made some changes in the lineup. Uh, maybe that helped. But was the defense just that good? You know, we saw Samson Buckham play a lot more than we've seen him play to date. Uh, he didn't really do anything in the pass rush department, but he was kind of okay in uh, coverage. And, uh, he did a decent job in, in run defense. But – was it the good defense, or was it, are the Seahawks just struggling that much this year? What do you think? Well, we all know that their offensive line isn't very good, so I think the first place you got to start is with the run game because Seattle got – I mean, you talked about the idea that the Rams had the run going early on. Seattle got absolutely nothing out of their ground game. Thomas Rawls had 20 yards on eight carries. Eddie Lacy had 19 yards on nine carries. And Russell Wilson, the Rams did a phenomenal job keeping him from – you know, doing, making those kind of Russell Wilson plays that every team that's faced the Seahawks has seen in the past. He had 16 yards on five rushes. So the Rams did a phenomenal job keeping the run bottled up. Um, in terms of the pass, part of it is just the avalanche effect. When, 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 you, when you're playing on an offensive line that, you know, is, is as, 
as susceptible as Seattle's is, and you're keeping the run game that limited, it's going to be much, much, much easier for you to defend the pass. And I think the Rams just did a, a very, very good job at dealing with that. And part of that, you know, we want to discredit kind of McVay's, and I don't mean we, you, and I, but generally Rams fans, obviously, yesterday and today, wanted to discredit McVay's game plan and some of his play calling. I don't think we should overlook how good of a job the defense did in, in, in Wade Phillips' requirement to make some adjustments given how poorly the Rams' defense had played through the first Absolutely. month of the season. Uh, and I, I get it, quality of opponent. Nonetheless, the Rams did a phenomenal job overall defensively. They limited the run. Overall, as a team, Seattle had 62 yards on 25 carries. None of the Seattle receivers had more than 40 yards, uh, including Jimmy Graham, who had six receptions on eight targets. How do you get six receptions on eight targets and not get over 40 yards? That's just crazy. Just, but, I mean, that's the kind of game that the Rams defense had. They, and they ended up with three sacks, six and a half tackles uh, for a loss, and, you know, 11 QB hits. They did a great job getting into the backfield and disrupting everything they were trying to do all day. I guess the problem was a, to the same degree that Seattle had a similar amount of success against the Rams, especially in those big kind of splash plays. Yeah, and you know, I think that you make a really, really good point when you talk about just the um, Wade Phillips defense making adjustments, stepping up, starting John Johnson, which was a bit, I think was a huge right. surprise for a lot of people. Uh, what was an even bigger surprise was that he actually played well, and, and there was definitely some spots where, you know, when I was reviewing the tape again last night, <laughs> uh, I, I was watching, and uh, there were some spots where obviously he looks like a rookie, like a third-round rookie would look. And then there was some spots where he looked really good. Um, he had the one interception return for 69 yards, but in all reality, he probably could have had two more interceptions, you know. So, you know, right. so two of them just slipped through his hands, uh, just barely slipped through his hands. So, you know, he played really well. Um, there was some ups and downs, but overall a good outing. And, you know, Cody Davis wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination, especially filling in for LaMarcus Joyner. He was definitely better than he was last week. So, overall, the defense definitely stepped up. I think the – the thing that uh, stood out the most to me is that the um, the Seahawks they got a lot of their points because of the because of the turnover you know turnovers um, sure. they got nine uh, uh, excuse me uh, yeah nine points just off turnovers and when you really think about that and you look at the way this game shaped out I mean this is a game where the Rams they can't lose. You know, um, the Rams had 375 total yards to the Seahawks, 241. Jared Goff threw for more yards than their total yardage was. You know, um, yeah. let that sink in. You know, so that, that just uh, the overall way the game went, the Rams had more first downs. The Rams had more rushing yards. The, just, the biggest difference was the turnovers. And when you look at the turnovers, Easily. it's definitely yeah. – it, 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 it's definitely a key part in the loss. But then you also have to ask yourself, you know, what was different with this game with Sean McVay? Um, because it, 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 you did see there to be a lot. It seemed like there was a lack of uh, adjustments being made, which is only reason it stands out so much is because it's so different from what it's been before. This year has been adjustments being made on the fly. Halftime comes, a lot of adjustments, but you didn't really see that this this game. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of the same plays being called. For for example, the end of the game, the throw to Cooper Cup, which I think everyone thought he was going to catch, but he dropped it. Okay, fine, whatever. Let's move on. You know, he is a rookie. You know, it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, then they came back on the very next play, ran the same exact play, and this time Cooper Cup didn't really come out as fast as he did 
the first time. It was more so a jog as the safety came over the top. He didn't come out as fast, and the ball just didn't get to him, you know, because of that. Why go back to the exact same play? You know, that's, I think, a bit of a shocker, especially when you have, like, 10 seconds left. You could actually get closer and get the ball out of bounds and give yourself an opportunity for a fade route or a back shoulder or something like that. You know, so the, the play calling and the timeout usage, you definitely have to look at Sean McVay and say, well, what's going on? So, I mean, was he brought back down to reality in this game, or is, or is he moving, or is this something where he can just take a stride and move forward as we go look forward to our next two weeks before the break? Well, I think the hard part in answering that is is how how can you tell the difference between a young head coach who is being like you said is being brought back down to reality versus an experienced head coach who has the wherewithal to deal with uh, adverse situations in a game where your team has five turnovers? And I I don't what is what is the difference between a young coach who doesn't have the kind of experience for a situation like that where how many games are you going to have five turnovers and, and, and versus a coach who has the wherewithal to be able to find a way to win. I, I don't know what the difference is because five turnovers is so overwhelming, right? I mean, you talked about the yardage. It's not just, you know, Jared Goff versus Seattle's overall. It, 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 you, you look at it like this. Russell Wilson had 24 completions. Jared Goff had 22 so two less completions, but he had 90 more yards passing. Uh, the rushing game, the, the, the Rams passed the ball 47 times, and Todd Gurley only got 14 rushes. So how, yeah. how much of that is inexperience slash, what you say, crashing down to earth, and how much of that is just yeah. trying to figure out a way to put together some kind of offensive success when you can't help yourself from turning the ball over, I don't know. You know, one thing about the turnovers that stood out to me, um, yeah, this is Ty Gurley's fifth fifth fumble, but I think the more shocking thing this year in general is Tavon Austin, these muff putts. Um, since yep. he's been in the NFL, if it's one thing that you could say you could count on Tavon Austin for, it's to be explosive in the return game. You know, he's been very, very, very good in that area, and he hasn't muffed a lot of punts in his career. You know, I think he came into this season with three muff punts. That's it. So far, he has uh, three already. <laughs> you know, so it's like, um, what's going on here, you know, uh, to have – or excuse me, he has four. He had two this past game. You know, so it's like, what's what's going on? How is he continuously muffing these putts? I feel like he might be putting extra pressure on himself to make plays considering the fact that he's not getting as many opportunities on offense as he did in the past. So now it's like he's putting more on himself and he's trying to do too much, thinking too much. But – Ultimately, he has to, you know, he has to get this under control. You know, you saw them put Cooper Cup back there um, in the second half after after the second um, the second muff putt. But it's it's a shock to me. I mean, uh, to me personally, because again, like that's what you know. If nothing else, you know that Tavon Austin can be dangerous in the return game, and you know that's kind of his niche. You know, he's a he's an explosive return man. But you're just not saying it. He just the ball is on the ground far too often. Uh, outside of that, Jared Goff. Go ahead. What's up? I was going to say, here's your semi-breaking news, Myson. Uh, Rams head coach Sean McVay uh, said earlier at his press conference today, and this is very political. Sean McVay is very good at this, at being very biting without being petty. Tavon Austin is going to get, quote-unquote, a break from returning punch. <laughs> he's not being benched. He's not being – he's just going to get a break. It's either going to be Cooper <laughs> Cup or Pharaoh Cooper taking over. So Tavon's going to get a little break. 
<laughs> you know what? I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Mike Thomas took over kickoff returns and then Farrell took over Maybe. returns. But but we did see the first person to get the stab at it when Tavon came out was Cooper Cup. So we'll see. But um, the other part of the turnovers, I think, I, at least me personally, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like most people should have expected it. But, you know, uh, this if there was going to be a game where you saw that Jared Goff was going to struggle, this was going to be it. You know, this is a very good secondary. They're, they've been good for a long time. They're called a legion of boom for a reason. And that was just the case. He struggled um, – to I feel like he struggled to get comfortable throwing certain routes. Um, as the ball was high a lot, it was low. It wasn't even close to some receivers in some instances. You know, um, it was. It was. I think there was a bit of fear to try to squeeze it in certain certain windows. So the turnovers definitely. This was this was a game where it came. But then on defense, you know, they they try to keep them around with getting creating some turnovers themselves. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on on Russell Wilson. They only got to him three times, but. There was a lot of – he was running for his life all day. You know, Robert yeah. Quinn and um, and Matt Longacre, which has been a bit of a surprise this year, they they both was all over him. You know, so o- overall, I, I can't really say that I was too disappointed with just the, uh, the defense trying to keep them in it, it when they would turn the ball over. They would go out there. They went out there. They tried to get some turnovers. They tried to get some sacks to force, force them back in. But it just didn't ultimately work out. But with that being said, Let's ahead, do, let's up. do this, my son. I, I got an idea, man. There, there are, there are. You know, we we talked about the game, and I think we've written a decent amount. And people understand that this was a chance for the Rams to overcome their most, their old selves. They didn't do it. We're moving forward into a period of uncertainty, where, you know, having lost this game, having nearly lost against San Francisco, having nearly lost but come away with a with a spirited win against the Cowboys. I think there are three major personnel issues right now that the Rams are dealing with. One, got dealt with today. The Rams uh, reactivated Mike Thomas, who you talked about with uh, potential yep. for kick returns, and released Maurice Alexander, uh, filled in for as a healthy scratch by John Johnson admirably for his first NFL start. Uh, Taylor yep. Austin had two punt fumble, uh, fumbles, one of them ceded uh, to the other team. Uh, the continuation of an issue that you talked about has been a problem all year. And then mm-hmm. – Third, I would say in terms of a personnel issue that the Rams need to figure out uh, perhaps what they want to do moving forward is Sammy Watkins, who expressed some uh, displeasure last yes, night. So here's is. what we're going to do. We're going to, play, we're going to play Wheel of Personnel Misfortune. And you can spin it, and whoever you land on, I'm just going to ask you a question. Uh, you can take your pick. Go ahead, spin the wheel, Mason. All right. Um, you got to do, do the sound effect. You gotta do okay. this. <laughs> Man, I just felt so lame. <laughs> Low budget right, podcasting. Cool. Who did who did the wheel land on, Mason? We landed on Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. Okay, well let's take that for let's take that for Cooper Cup, Sammy Watkins. Cooper Cup clearly had an opportunity uh to win that game. And you know, three receptions on eight targets, I think everybody would say You'd like, and certainly the big one at the end of the game, you would have liked to see him come up with it. Perhaps the bigger concern was Sammy Watkins. Zero receptions, which means zero yards, zero touchdowns, zero average, zero long, on four targets. Right. Um, he, he tweeted his displeasure. Let me go ahead and pull it up for the sake of accuracy. We may be low budget, but we're high on our integrity, <laughs> damn it. So let, <laughs> let me go ahead and pull this up. For those of you all that didn't see after the game, 
Uh, Sammy was tweeting a bit of what's the right word here? Displeasure with the way things yes. were going. Uh, Tory Holt for Rams great. <laughs> Got things started off, and he tweeted. Sammy Watkins, zero catches on four targets, now has one catch for 17 yards over his past two games. Didn't tag Sammy, but somehow he saw the tweet, whether it was in his feed or he searched it and said, quote, something's got to be going on, and then did the zipper mouth emoji. I don't know the official name of that emoji. Uh, Torrey Holt then responded with the scratching chin emoji. You tell me, you mentioned Cooper Cup. I think he's one of those players that's on the rise. Late in the game, he got the look that, could have slash should have won the Rams the game. But perhaps game long, the stat line for Sammy Watkins stands out because he's atop the wide receiver depth chart. Where are the Rams going with Sammy Watkins? Um, exactly where I said they were going to go when the trade happened. <laughs> my, my stance on this receiver core has not changed. You go back, you listen to any of the podcasts throughout the entire offseason, I have stayed the same the entire time. And it's that the ball is going to be spread around. I've said over and over, we are not going to see a 1,000-yard receiver. It's not going to happen. I said the max would probably be in that 800-yard range, but no more. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you're going to see out of this offense. Um, the ball is going to be spread around a lot. And with you bringing back Mike Thomas now, now you have even more people to throw the ball to. And it, it works for them because every week there's a different – go-to guy. You know, every week there's someone different to take control, to throw the ball to the feed. Um, and with that being the case, I just don't feel like a second-round pick is worth it. Uh, that, that's what that's what Sammy Watkins is going through now. Uh, he's got, it's either him adjust to it and accept it, you know, and just get through the season and go where he want to go after the season, or, you know, complain about it and see if you can get it traded again. The last time I think a player got traded mm-hmm. twice in one season was Randy Moss in 2010. So let's see if that happens. But yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case. So <laughs> with that being said, uh, you know, uh, it, it is unfortunate for him, but I'm not, I'm not surprised by it one bit. The big problem with Sammy Watkins is what you alluded to is the contract situation, right? If, th- if things right. are wrong with Robert Woods or Cooper Cup or Farrell Cooper or whomever – You've got time to figure that stuff out. Sammy Watkins could be hitting free agency this offseason, and the Rams would still need to go out and figure out who's going to fill his role because it can't be Robert Woods. And it's nothing against Robert Woods, but there's a reason that Sammy Watkins was the wide receiver one over Woods in Buffalo. There's a reason why Sammy Watkins is the wide receiver one in Los Angeles, even though he's not necessarily getting the game-to-game production to back it up. and I just, I just worry that if Sammy Watkins and the Rams are playing themselves into a breakup in this upcoming offseason, it's putting a need on that big board um, that maybe we're not looking at today in a way that we're going to be looking at it in a couple of months. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Myson, spin the wheel of personnel, Mitch Fortune. You got uh, – who, who are the other two? We got Tavon Austin, and you got – who is the other one? I already forgot. Wasn't Todd Gurley, Roby Coleman? I'm getting I those. Who's the who's spinning to figure it out? <laughs> I'll, I'll figure oh, it out man. during my spin. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mike Thomas, Mo Alexander, Mo Alexander, Mike Tyson, Thomas, uh, Mo Alexander. Yep, and the oh, gra- oh wow, that's where it landed. Are you sure? <laughs> oh yeah. Look at Mike it. Thomas uh, slash okay, Mo Alexander. I, Look at that. I wasn't sure. Mike now. Thomas, Mo Alexander. Well, let's start with the Mo Alexander thing. Um, you know, clearly there was an allusion to something going on. The fact that he was a healthy scratch 
is always anytime you've got a healthy scratch, there's always something uh, going on. And uh, that quickly, Maurice Alexander went from the starter to no longer being with the team as Mike Thomas came back, where you could have made much easier decisions with guys who have been on that inactive list for the past three, four weeks, as opposed to Maurice Alexander, who up until two weeks ago was the starting safety. Uh, what are your feelings? What do you what do you think about Moal departing, and what do you think about your boy Mike Thomas coming back in the side? Um, in no way am I surprised um, because I, I like well, at which part? Of Maurice Alexander? Um, I, I think that I was kind of expecting something to happen, but I didn't think this was going to mm-hmm. be it. I thought it probably more so a trade than anything. Uh, so okay. there's a little surprise there, but. I didn't expect I didn't expect him to stay throughout the season. Um, you know that he's a player, and this is why I was expecting a a trade. You know he's a player that's probably not going to be back because uh, he did he doesn't like the and I mentioned this two weeks ago. He he wasn't a fan yep. of the Wade Wade, Wade Phillips system. Uh, he just wasn't he wasn't a fan. And usually when you're not a fan, you're not going to get along with the coach. Um, so that part in my head, you know, I'm thinking okay. He doesn't like the system. There's no way the coach doesn't know about it. I know about it. Surely Wade Phillips knows about it. You know, um, he doesn't. He's not a fan of the system. He's on the last year of his contract, so if he doesn't like the system, he's not getting along with the coach. He's probably not going to be back next year. But he's coming off a great year last year. He was really, really good last year. You know, and so yeah. coming off of the season that he that he played last year surely you're going to get something in a trade for him, which is why I'm hesitant to say the reason that he's gone is solely because of the um, the disconnect with Wade Phillips. There might be more to this because usually when that's the case, guys are traded as opposed to just flat-out released unless it's just so bad it's, it's toxic to the locker room. Um, in, that, in that particular case, then that's probably got more to do with a, a, a panic button from like, a young head coach who thinks, okay, this is getting out of control. Let's just get him out of here. But I don't think that's the case. I feel like there's more to it. I'm going to find out. <laughs> I'm eager to find out why the why, why Dude, the Detective Wade Adios, as opposed Detective to the trade. <laughs> I'm eager to find out why the wave instead of the trade because I feel like you could have gotten some type of value for him as opposed to just uh, waving him. But at the end of the day, I did not expect him to, to uh, stick around um, because – that's what you do in sports. You know, if you're not going to have a player that's at least of deep, that's at least decent. You know, if you're not going to have him next year, you know, you're not going to resign him, and you have someone to replace him right now. You usually trade him. So I didn't expect him to stick around, um, but and that's just the case. But with that being said, Mike Thomas is back. What's up? Holler at me. <laughs> I'll leave it at that because I know you love it. Here's here's what all I'm going to say, and I, I it's 2017, and I get that it's a different NFL, but I keep struggling to understand why this happens. Houston uh, started the season with Deshaun Watson on the bench. It's yeah. uh, Monday night. Mitch Trubisky is getting his first start uh, in the NFL. On a team in which under Jeff Fisher, rookies were historically delayed uh, their place into the starting rotation well into the season. Sean McVay took over this team and started Gerald Everett and started Cooper Cup, and had a lot of rookies in the mix and did not have John Johnson in the mix. Now, clearly when he was drafted, you could have put a tick on the wall for Maurice Alexander's departure that didn't seem to accelerate until this Sunday. And I just, I, I struggle to understand whether it's John Johnson taking over for Maurice Alexander or Deshaun Watson or Mitch Trubisky or Jared Goff 
what the what the hell are people? What I don't understand why coaches <laughs> what they they always say. Well, they're not ready. Okay, and then they come in and they look a hell of a lot more ready than the guy that they were like. Oh, you Mitch Trubisky wasn't ready, but Mike Glennon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was the all star you needed. <laughs> Jared Goff's just not ready for the NFL. So we're gonna roll with Case Keenum. Okay. I mean, there's no way that I could possibly buy that, but sure, yeah, go for it, whatever. Like, yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't understand this line. There's nothing against John Johnson, nothing against Maurice Alexander, and clearly, Sean McVay, Wade Phillips have earned the prerogative to do what they want. But I, I never understand this idea of oh, guys aren't ready, and then when they start playing, they're clearly ready. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's I think it's that that riddle of. You know what? What is it that makes a guy make it makes it click in a guy's head? You know, because in some instances, there's a lot of cases actually, not just some, but most instances, guys really are not ready. <laughs> but then at some point during the season, whether it's week one, two, or fourteen, it clicks. Something something about a certain play, it clicks, and then they start rolling. You know, when it clicks, um, and that does happen. Now, does it happen as frequently as it seems to be happening right now? I don't think so. I think coaches are just kind of hesitant to put guys out there. Um, but it, it does seem to be a bit of a trend to try to go back to the old way of sending players as opposed to just throwing them out there, throwing them to the wolves. Uh, John Johnson, though, you know, like I said, he definitely he, he had his really, really good highs, and then he had some pretty bad lows. But ultimately, overall, you know, when you balance it out, he played a really solid game overall. You know, he wasn't the reason. And what, what was the flip side? Like, what was the risk? Like, oh, no, you played John Johnson. What can happen? The 49ers might score 39 points. You might get run all over in weeks. You're like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> the, the thing, thing that you were trying to, to prevent mind, happened anyway. To, no, another thing to keep in mind is that John Johnson wasn't healthy throughout the summer. He was dealing with injuries, so that also throws a player back as well. You know, so oh there's some, there's some, and, and injuries don't injuries don't they don't have to be reported. You know what's what's the problem? You know, you know that a, a guy is hurt, but you have no clue what it is because there's no injury report. You know, so fair uh, point. When a guy gets when a guy isn't healthy, that throws every. For example, look at Cam Newton. His first three games was basically his preseason because he didn't do anything all preseason. Since then, he's rolling into his regular form. <laughs> you know, so. You, you you really never can just pinpoint one thing as to why a player is being set or why they're deemed not ready. There's so many different things that can contribute to that. Fair point. But point not accepted. As punishment, <laughs> you must roll the wheel of personnel misfortune one last time. Let's see. There's only All one right. option, Tavon Austin. Let's see who it comes Tavon up with. Tavon Austin. Yes. Well, no, you got to roll. You got to you got to spin the wheel. Hey, I did. I did. Don't disturb my spin, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I, I, all right. I like how you have too much pride. Go ahead. Davon Austin. <laughs> Davon Austin, what all you right, got man. for us on that one? All right, here's the thing. Tavon had the touchdown. We all, we all saw the fumbles. It's Tavon Austin, man. He's been in the league long enough. We know the frustration fans have with him. We know – uh, that the cost, right? His contract. I'm not going to malign any of those points, let alone insults. Good friend of T of Tertial Times staffer, deputy editor Brandon Bate. Everybody get at you, boy. No Plan B underscore <laughs> on Twitter. Loves him some Tavon Austin. He has a hashtag passion for fashion. Hit him up. 
Tamar Austin had one run, the touchdown run, for 27 yards. His five other runs on Sunday went for zero yards. Tyson, <laughs> we've talked about the value that he has as a misdirection candidate that you've argued exacerbated to a degree that only he can because of his speed. At what point is the need to uh, use him in misdirection because of his speed and because of his cost and the opportunity to use him in the ground game that we saw this weekend, both the yin and the yang, the opportunity to break off a 27-yard touchdown, but also five wasted plays where you get zero yards, not, not three, not just setting up a second and eight, but zero yards net on those five other runs. At what point is Tavon no longer an overrated player or a, um, a player that you wish you could get more out of? At what point is Tavon Austin holding the rest of this roster and the rest of the Rams team back? Okay, real quick, I will say he did have another run that went for like nine yards, but his other his other three runs, uh, or his his other he had like three runs that was all negative. <laughs> so that that canceled out those nine yards. So it just was that one run for the touchdown. At least that's the way it looks. But um, I would say that we're we're past that point. Um, here's the thing: mm-hmm. I think that there's two issues here. And uh, this is going to be the perfect lead way into our next subject, but there's two issues here. One is uh, Tavon Austin, I think that there was an, an, an expectation for him to be, you know, this thousand-yard receiver, which me personally I never thought. And I've said it since the day he was drafted. I was happy he was drafted, but I said he's going to be yeah. what he was at West Virginia. He's, he's going to be that same player. You know, he's going to be a guy that's going to catch the ball, run the ball, return the ball. That's what he's going to be. He's going to do it in his game. What he brings to the table comes in – uh, a multi-magnitude of ways. You know, there's not just one way to use him. You have to use him in a lot of ways. That's the way you get production out of him. Uh, but in doing so, you're also not going to see, you know, a 1,000-yard rusher, a 1,000-yard receiver, and, you know, 500 return yards. But, like, that's not what you're going to see. And I think the hype um, kind of went to a lot of people's heads. You know, there was a lot of comparisons to uh, Barry Sanders and all kind of stuff. Um which I think that is what kind of got people lost, you know. So there was there was a belief that you know there was going to be this you know this unbelievable player, you know. But that wasn't the case. Now they now people say, oh well, he's not the game changer. You thought, well, yes, he is. He's still a game changer. He's still going to break those big ones. He still can break a return at any moment. He still can take a, a screen to the house in the blink of an eye. That's what a game changer is. But I think that people were expecting a game changer and then some. You know, they were expecting a, a Julio Jones in the size of a five foot, five foot eight package, basically. Because Julio Jones is a game changer, but then also a complete receiver at the same time. You know, so that's what I think that's where people got kind of lost it. The other part of that is that, you know, you have the trade up to number eight, which puts. I am not a fan of putting this cloud over a player's head because of where they're drafted. <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you basically have people say, oh, well, you know, he's you – ha- I've literally heard people, and even on the site I've read where people was like, this is our worst draft pick in the last 10 years. I think people are prisoners of the moment because <laughs> he's not even right. in the top 10. <laughs> you know, he's not even in the top 10. It's this really bad pick. Tavon Austin has not been a complete bust. You know, he, it's not – you know, Tavon Austin has over 25 touchdowns in his career or something like that. So – how can we call him a complete bust? You can't, you know, that's five touchdowns a year. So, 
you know, it's more than Brian Quick. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it's definitely not a, a complete bust, but he's not what you were expecting, and I think that's where the the disconnect comes from. It's but it's way past that point of when are we going to get. It's past that. You know, you, you we know what he is. Well, that's been figured out. Um, can you could he be used in a, a traditional receiver fashion? Yeah, I think he could. I think he could be a good intermediate route runner if they ever wanted to do that. But that's not the case. You know, so it is what it is. This this is what we have. Move forward. So sad. You said you had a segue from that, man. Yes. So speaking of the draft and talent and everything. Um, here's here's an interesting thing that was on my mind, and I said with the way that the Rams are looking right now, and you know the way they've played, if they can continue this, the way the team is looking, they're clicking. You look at the moves that was made this off season. Um, I personally have said I know that you're a big fan of the Andrew Whitworth move, and I am as well. But I've said that my favorite move as far as the offensive line or the offense in general goes is uh, John Sullivan because of what he does for Jared Goff. As, as well as the entire line with his calls and uh, blitz pickup and everything. But, um, you know, you look at the offensive line, Whitworth, Sullivan, and then you look at uh, bringing in Cooper Cup, you look at bringing in Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, you know, you get Gerald Everett, you know, um, the personnel moves um, that was made, the hiring of Sean McVay, the bringing in Wade Phillips with him, putting an offensive-minded staff like legit QB gurus around Jared Goff, and uh, Greg Olson and uh, Sean McVay, and then um, uh, who am I forgetting? Who did I didn't say? Who, Matt LaFleur? So I, didn't say. I didn't say Matt LaFleur. Yeah, that's true. I didn't say him either. So, yeah, you know, you put all these minds around Jared Goff um, who have proven track workers are working with, with a quarterback, and you see the improvement of Jared Goff. So now you're in a position where you say – Five months ago, everyone was saying that Les Snead is on his way out. Is Les Snead still on his way out? Because a lot of these moves he's had his hand on, in on. So is he on his way yeah, out, or uh, is he kind of? Well, uh, I think the what's up? No, I, I was just gonna say. I think the problem is that there's no we, especially, almost more so than any other team. Our fan base has little understanding of what of how this team is being run, right? So, right. Go back, go back last year, right? You had Jeff Fisher and Les Snead in year five, after four years of losing football, and both received an extension that both of them had to keep quiet. That either, if you believe them, neither of them knew that each other got an extension which is, let's say, hashtag special in and of itself. Or they knew and they just lied about it for months on end and the media allowed them to. Either way, how the hell, what kind of dysfunctional ass organization are you running (laughs) where you're extending your coach and general manager for four and a half and then ultimately five years of losing what what are, what are the standards in place to providing them an extension? The, the only one, and everybody knows this, the only one that you could possibly have is that they were in place to help the team relocate from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And if that's the case, then it had nothing to do with the quality of football, right? right. And what makes, it, what makes it hard to then recalibrate for less speed, which we obviously don't have to do for Jeff Fisher because he's not here, is 
how much does it matter now, A, in general, but B, specifically for Snead? A year ago, if the Rams brass, if Kevin Demoff and Tony Pasteurs and Stan Kroenke didn't really care how well the team did because they just wanted to get the team back to Los Angeles and get the stadium built, how much do they suddenly care now? There's there's a – there's a part of that calculus that just doesn't make sense, right? If they didn't care last year, why would they care now? There's no answer to that except to, to just arbitrarily decide, well, last year didn't matter, but this year does. Like, there's no, there's no reason that that would be the case. <laughs> On top of which, the players that were here last year, guys like Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, uh, take a, whoever else you want from the offense or defense that's a meaningful part of this team, has been impacted <laughs> based on how they performed and what they did last year, as well as what they're doing this year. So take somebody like Robert Quinn or Aaron Donald. They played their asses off last year. It may not, it may not have been what certain people wanted. It may not have been what the coaches at the time asked for, but they did their best, right? Now you're, you're right. supposed to, to put that behind a wall and act like that doesn't matter. The, the, the idea that Les Snead has deserved an extension bef- because of what he did this year ignores what he did for five years previously. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you suggesting that is somehow something that you got to back up, Myson. But the, the idea that, that somehow the 2017 Rams have whitewashed the last five years of Rams football for the same people involved just doesn't make any sense. So I, I don't know. Uh, it's one of those things where it's very, it's very hard to try to understand the idea that for whatever Les Snead did to earn the extension last year, whatever that was has to be a hundred percent different than whatever would justify an extension this year. And it's very hard to understand how both of those would happen to the same person. And, you know, I would say that if outside of the the reason of Jeff Fisher doesn't matter because he's no longer here, but as far as looking back to last, last year, it was like football didn't matter, but now it does. Uh, outside of the reason of just trying to get the team relocated as to uh, as to answering why Les Snead would get an extension, the other part will also be another suspicion of many people, and that's Jeff Fisher was running more of the team than people than what normally happens Maybe. in the NFL when you have a GM, and with Jeff Fisher being gone, and, and I've said I've, I've said a million times, I've said it over and over this offseason, Leslie just looked more comfortable and more in control than he ever has. You know, he was talking more in media sessions and press conferences. He right. was basically calling the shots in the press conferences. You know, he was he was kind of the man, and it just seemed different when Jeff Fisher was gone. But Again, it's still well, here's the thing. We'll here's the, the, here's the one asterisk out. I got to throw out there, Myson, because I hear that a lot, and it's not. I, I have no problem buying into that. But if that's the case, that we're not going to blame Les Need for the personnel decisions of the five years that Le, Jeff Fisher was there, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> then let, let let's not go out there and give Les Need a ton of credit Absolutely. for drafting Aaron Donald or for I drafting Todd Gurley, right? No, yeah, you, you, you can't that. have it both ways. But, so if, but, if we're going to put at the same time, at the same ahead. time though, if you look at those picks, those are Jeff Fisher picks. A D lineman, sure. who's the guy that coined the phrase "you can never never have enough"? No doubt, that was Jeff Fisher. No doubt, <laughs> you, you know. Yep. And then look at who was the happiest person on earth the day of the top the day Todd Gurley was drafted. Right, Jeff Fisher. He's yep. up there. Jeff Fisher never makes comparisons. He's bringing up Eddie George. He's talking about the word great. He's like Eric Dickinson right. played in this team, and now you get a Todd Gurley. Like, he was making comparisons. 
those were Jeff Fisher picks. You, you, they, they, yeah. The type of player they was, and then you look at the way he reacted, you look at the, the way he wanted to implement them, those had Jeff Fisher all over them. So it may be that it may be that Leslie didn't have as much control, and I think that's probably where the rift began is that he was growing. You know, when you first get there and Jeff Fisher's already there when you get the job, you know, you're you're new and, you you know, you're not – you can tell you're not in control, but as you grow into your position, you probably want some control, and that, that probably is what started the rift. But like I said, still early. We'll see how the rest of the year shakes out, whether or not he's even worthy of an extension, but it is something to definitely monitor. With that being said, though, moving on to our next subject, Next week, we get the Jags, the game that scared the absolute hell out of me. Mm-hmm. What are you expecting from this game? <laughs> it, it's, almost, uh, it's almost the opposite of the Seattle game, right? The Seattle game was playing our former selves. This is, this is playing the future, right? This is, the, this, yeah. is the, this is the emerging Rams facing the emerging Jags on the road again. This is, you know, we were on the road against the Cowboys, got to come home against Seattle on the road again. Um, it, I don't know. It's one of these things where you got these two kind of newish teams trying to overcome a lot of historic. Uh, what's the nice word? What's the, the insufficiency? What did, what did he say? He's going to be put on break. Two teams that have been put that have taken a break for the last decade uh, seem to be more or less finding a way to break out of it. And the Rams and the Jaguars. And uh, I guess if anything, we get to see who's maybe closer than the other to getting back on track. You know, there's a couple of things about the Jaguars that, you know, scare the absolute hell out of me. Like, I look at it and I'm like, that's some scary shit. One, <laughs> their uh, run game, number one in the NFL. They are running the ball very well. <laughs> they are running the ball very well. And our run defense has not been that great. You know, it's 27th in the NFL. So, <laughs> It's, it's going to be a long day. I feel like time of possession is going to be a huge thing because when you look on the flip side of that, the Rams are 13th in rushing, and the Jaguars, it's the one weakness to their defense, the run defense. They're 31st in the NFL. They're allowing 146 yards per game. Um, but then you look at the overall defense. Whew, yeah, I could tell you now, if less – or excuse me, not less sleep, but if Sean McVay goes in there and say no one's going to expect us to throw it again – it's going to be a very long day as this young, thriving secondary <laughs> is probably the hungriest I've seen a secondary in a long time. They are hungry, like very, very – they're not just good. You know, like think <sighs> about the way Richard Sherman was when he got into the league, when he was trying to convince the world. Oh, Mike, we are talking about being hungry. We, start, we talked about this weekend in Texas, <laughs> man. We can't – Look, Stay away from hungry okay. as a term. They're, they're not a hungry. They're not hungry. They're eager. How about that? <laughs> they're eager. They're willing to blow <laughs> everything out the back. Oh, my sin. Hey, <laughs> make sure you hit mute before you do. Nobody want to hear all that shit. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. <laughs> but pun intended. <laughs> but uh, you know, you you look at it, and this is a this is a scary Jaguar <laughs> team, and it's been a long time since someone could say that about the Jags. But they're legit, and they this is the other part that scares me. The, their season so far, they've beaten much better teams than what the Rams have played. And it's not even close. What they did to Ben Roethlisberger this weekend, <laughs> you know, forget Ben Roethlisberger. What they did to Joe Flacco, <laughs> Joe Flacco, I think, went his first 12 or 13 passes all incompletions. <laughs> it's like they, he couldn't complete a pass on the secondary. You know, and then they face Ben Roethlisberger and they intercept him five, uh, five times like, 
this defense is good, and it's on every level they're good. And I'm 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 not confident. Let's put it that way. That this is gonna like I said when you said are the are the fans gonna show up to the Seahawks game last week, and I said I don't think they are because. They, there's still that skepticism not the rim to win this week and win next week. Then when they come back from London, I would expect the stadium pack. Well, they already lost to the Seahawks, so I don't expect the pack. But losing to the Seahawks, and this is a uh, a similar defense but better. I definitely think that um I definitely think that the Rams could be facing an ugly, ugly week here. Um, you got any two, thoughts before we two things the I, ju- I just want to mention with uh, hashtag Fisher Bowl. Right now, it's Monday Night Football. Headed into halftime, the Minnesota Vikings are beating the Chicago Bears three to two. <laughs> a baseball <laughs> score on Monday Night Football amid the MLB playoffs. And secondly, and this isn't a this is more of a rhetorical question. I don't know that there's a team that's playing Fisher ball better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not just that they have the running game in place. It's not just that they have the defense in place. They also have the appropriate Jeff Fisher quarterback in place. They're doing this with Blake Bortles, man. Like, nobody's nobody's making them play big. The only way it would make sense is if somebody was like, here's the deal. You can have Leonard Fournette, and you can have this running game, and you can have this defense, but only if you promise to play Blake Bortles. And you say, okay, yeah, that's a fair trade-off. That's the only reason Blake Bortles should be the quarterback of this team. You could have, you could, you could have done anything else. There's all kinds of other quarterbacks you could have played. Nobody's making – there's no law. There's no law that says – there's no Florida yeah. State law that says you have to make Blake Bortles the quarterback. What is – what the – I'm just I'm just not hungry anymore, man. Uh, don't, don't, starting Blake Bortles to do that to you. <laughs> just talking about and we'll it. Say, that, that, may, that, that may be – and I'm, I'm not writing the preview now. That might be just the entire preview is – well, let's see how much Blake wants to bortle. If he feels like bortling on Sunday, <laughs> and if he bortles more than usual, then the Rams might just get out of Jacksonville with a win. But if he decides to bortle less and allow the team to play around him, well, the Rams might not get enough bortling to get the W. <laughs> enough bortling. <laughs> All right. Well, that that has it for that uh, for that discussion. Basically, it comes down to how much bordering the Rams are going to be seeing. If they get enough, then they're probably going to lose. If they don't get enough, they're going to win. So, hey, that's a perfect way to put it. So, moving on. How did our listeners bordle this week? (laughs) You said what? How did our listeners bordle this week? How much bordling did the Kershaw Radio uh, P1s do? We had had some – how do you put? How should I put this? We had some very some top bordering, bordering. <laughs> some very borderline, bordering. some borderline bordering. Uh, we had some top dodge. It wasn't even so much of just questions. We had like just some blow Finger. off the steam, sure. <laughs> you know, some venting going on. But let's start off with um, let's start off with Chris Ramsey. Uh, he had, he says nobody else has been able to explain this to me so. Maybe you guys can. How was it uh, that Seahawks? How was the Seahawks ball when Gurley fumbled at the one, and it was clearly touching uh, touching the ball while his foot was out of bounds? Okay, so here's the thing. Take it away, um, Mason. The yeah. Take it away. So look, basically the rule is simple. Um, it's just like when you get a touchdown. When you see guys dive and they just the nose of the football onto the pile line, um, and they call that a touchdown. It's the same thing if you fumble. 
the 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 call was right. Actually, it made perfect sense. It was just an unbelievable fumble. <laughs> you just don't expect the ball to come out of his hand right there. However, it is something that uh, I think I mentioned last year, or, or not last year, but his rookie season, that when he gets to the goal line trying to stretch that ball out, sometimes he doesn't really have to. You know, and uh, that can happen, which we've seen happen before against the Seahawks with Earl Thomas when he smacked it out of uh, Benny Cunningham's hand once when he reached for it. You know, something that Earl Thomas is good at. Um, so the call is correct. When you reach, if the ball touches the power line, if you have possession, it's a touchdown. If you don't, it's a touchback. It's just that simple because it's no different than the ball going out the back of the end zone. Um, he didn't have control of that ball when his foot went out of bounds. You know, if they, when, you, when they stop it just on time, you can actually see it. It's a legit call. Unfortunately, it is, but I guess that's the way the cookie, the cookie crumbles, as they say. So um, moving on to the next question, uh, Rand Connors, how can you lose a game? <laughs> that's a way to start a uh, question, right? How can you lose a game that would turn your whole franchise around? A uh, two-and-a-half game division lead. I know it's early in the season, but that um, – I'm not sure what he meant there, but that would take much of the pressure off this team. Uh, on my uh, – oh, my, as a coach, I would have brought everything shy of a nice handgun to this game. This was a pivotal franchise-turning uh, game, and they choked. Now what? Another tailspin. So here's the thing. I would say that it's, guys are hitting the panic button too much right there, you know? Um, sure. Yeah, it, it, it was an opportunity to extend the lead, but that's what Mondays are for. That's the beauty of Mondays, <laughs> man. It is, it is. But this was right after the game, so he was fresh when he wrote this. But you know, it's uh, it's definitely, it's definitely too early to uh, talk about tailspins. It was, a, it was a crushing loss. I think a lot of people wanted it for that reason that you just said. You know, where you can uh, extend that lead out to two and a half games. That would have been really lovely, but. It is what it is. You still get to play them again. Um, right now, it's not like you're losing the division and you're way behind and all that stuff. That's not the case. Um, it's still very early, only five games in. Um, you got anything on that before we get to the next one? No, just it is. We've talked about anomalies before. We talked about the anomaly of Robert Woods when he had that bad game. What was it, week two, when, when he had that yeah. bad game against Washington? And we knew that wasn't going to be the case. You got an anomaly – uh, what was it we talked about a couple weeks ago? There, there was the anomaly of the fumbles in the preseason. Remember, what was it, the first yeah. preseason game yeah, with Justin like Davis? You, you got anomalies <laughs> like that. So and crazy. This, you know, yeah, five turnovers and zero catches for Sammy Watkins on four targets is an anomaly. It's just, It just all happened to converge in this one game. It's not going to happen moving forward. So you ask, how can it happen? That's how. You, you, get, you get a bunch of fluky plays where Tavon Austin fumbles it twice and is able to get back on one and loses the other. Todd Gurley fumbles it when, you know, you had an erstwhile touchdown that, uh, you know, had things gone exactly the same, would have won you the game. You had, you know, to fumble two interceptions from Jared Goff, some fluky interceptions. That It's just, uh, you know, that's the nature of football, man. Sometimes the anomalies all come in, in a single game, and the way Kobe Bryant said it best, sometimes that's just the way the ball bounces, and it just happened that way on Sunday. It just sucks that it all happened in one game where you could have uh, really used a win, where the, uh, the the value of a win there maybe eclipsed the value of some other wins uh, either coming later or that came earlier this season. 
All right, so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go through two more questions, and then we're gonna get uh, get to college and get out of here. But uh, this one here is I thought was a really good question from Jason Nickerson. Uh, his, his question is: Tavon seems to be fitting into their scheme on offense. How can yeah. they justify letting him return punts anymore? Great question yep. because we were talking about yep. <laughs> shopping Bay. Answers your question, Jason. You don't even Great need question, us. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But he read he read the post, Jason. That's all yeah. it is. Sean McVay read the post. <laughs> so he he read your right question. There. See what happens when you ask Tershaw Radio, you ask questions, <laughs> Coach McVay answers. answers. <laughs> all right, so David Mill, um, he says, am I imagining that we have the ball on like the 30-yard line and about four minutes left in the, the half? We're one of the league's best running backs, and we are throwing the ball. Knowing full well Seattle seemed to be building momentum and still possesses three turn uh, three timeouts. Is it me being critical of that play calling that might have put us back in control had we run the ball at least on first down? No, I don't think you're being critical, David. I've mentioned this already. I definitely think play calling could have been better. It didn't seem like the play calling that we used, we're used to seeing. The thing that makes this offense go this season, and I, I, I want everyone to really fully pay attention to this, is the balance. The offense has been very, very balanced to this point. But then this past weekend, the balance was gone. The reason that the box lightened up for Todd Early to have bigger holes to run through is because there was balance, but not just balance, but there was success with that balance. So you're throwing the ball 30 times, you're running it 30 times, and you're completing – you know, 22, 23 of those 30 pass attempts that you're throwing, you know, so that's going to automatically make life a little easier uh, for your run game and vice versa. When you start popping them, now you're getting some connections. The problem was there was no balance, and even with the pass game, the ball was off the mark a lot. So I definitely think the play calling could have been better 100%. Um, Got anything? One one thing we talked about, the anomaly that I didn't get the chance to mention, the anomaly of the red zone. And we, yeah. uh, we we mentioned this last year on the podcast when the Rams were 3-1 and one and they were just having ridiculous amounts of success in the red zone. It was enough to, to go to the red zone five times and get three points. That just doesn't happen, man, uh, except when it does. And so, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's something that you got to worry about to say how the hell does that happen, but it's not something to worry about specifically because you know that's not going to happen. Real quick, we're going to get to college football. But one thing that I was going to throw out there, uh, this was this came from Scott Young. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. But he said, I'm biting my lip to avoid saying same old Rams. <laughs> Coming from a pre-St. Louis Rams. With that being said, Joe, what you got for college football, man? <laughs> Let's start on Thursday. You messaged me on Thursday. I was flying down to Dallas. Yes, I did. And I got a message when I landed that said, Mike, weren't you talking about North Carolina State? Mike, I told you, man. <laughs> you definitely called that one. That's for sure. You you definitely called play. that one. That was, a, that was a good game. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Look, here's what I'd say, man. If you haven't seen North Carolina State, they're not they're not heavy on NFL talent yet. But the way they're playing, and look, they got a, a fun game at Pitt. If you don't like NC State at Pitt in the middle of October, come on, man. That's where Aaron Donald honed his craft. That's where Jacoby Brissett made himself. That's what. That's who Russell Wilson was. Was North Carolina? Come on, man. That's fun stuff. Then they get to go to Notre Dame. They got Clemson coming up. North Carolina State's a game, a team you need to pay attention to coming uh, into the fun games of October. But then you know, I'm no they, offense they to anybody on Friday. 
They're fun. They're fun to watch. And if you haven't seen uh, what's name Finley, give him. Give him I was a just gonna Saturday. say, that kid Ryan Finley was slinging it. Fun, man. <laughs> He's fun. I, I don't. Here's what I say. I have no interest in him for the Rams, but I love I love watching him. It's fun to watch. Um, then in the Saturday, it was it was billed as what should have been a boring, straightforward Saturday with no major games in the top twenty, and yet. It all happened. I was watching. I was at the Cotton Bowl downtown Dallas. I left my family. I told them, I need to get something to eat. They're like, Joe, you've been eating all day. There's no way you can eat. I said, I need to get something to eat. Leave me alone. I went to the Cotton Bowl to watch the end of Oklahoma, Iowa State on the Jumbotron (laughs) as uh, Prairie View Grambling, which is, by the way, the most southern football game you could possibly reference. Most people would talk about, like, Alabama, LSU, blah, blah, blah. Those are what people yeah. who outside the t- South talk about. When you talk about Prairie View and Grambling, that is some d- 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 dirty South type football. <laughs> so I was there as Prairie View and Grambling and fans were starting to enter the stadium just trying to watch the game. Craziness, man. You had that game. Oh, you man. had Michigan, Michigan State. You had Alabama. Only Alabama looked human. They only beat Texas A&M by a touchdown by eight. It was a you wild weekend, I was, huh? I, I was talking about it with my friend um, on Facebook, and I was telling him, hey, I'm looking forward. This was in the morning. I was like, I'm looking forward to this Alabama-Texas A&M game because over the last couple of years, Alabama, when they play A&M, A&M has been getting with them. (laughs) And they've won, I think, like three times over the last, like, five years or something like that. So I was definitely looking forward to that game, you know, where I'm like, okay, this could be a good game. It, it turned out to be a good game. But, yeah, there was a lot of upset this weekend. Um, I definitely did not see the Iowa State game. But you know what? I watched that game, and when I watched it, like, it was a surprise that they were in it. But then when I watched it, I was like, ah, that's right. Because as I was watching, I completely forgot about the kid. Um, what is his name? The uh, Iowa State running back, Montgomery. I can't remember his first name. But yeah. um, he – he was just he was just moving the ball really well on them, you know, and I, that was the difference in the game, in my personal opinion. Like when it, when they needed it most, Montgomery was getting it, <laughs> you know, whether it was a first down, yeah. two yards here, three yards here. He had that really long screen pass that he took for like fifty yards. Like he just made probably five or six really good plays at the right time, and that was yeah. enough. That was enough. David Montgomery's a little chunkster. Some other interesting games. Uh, TCU got the home win, college game day host. TCU, number eight, got the win over number yep. 23, West Virginia. Tavon Austin's alma mater. Uh, big game there. LSU. Uh, <laughs> that was a fucking LSU, Florida. If you missed it, Florida only lost the game because they missed an extra point. A college special. Anytime somebody loses a game because they missed an extra point, we should all have to pay a tax, like a five, just a $5 federal tax hey, to say, you hey, know what, college football is great, man. <laughs> I'm tired of taxes. Speak for yourself. Miami. Mison, if y'all if y'all ain't seen Miami yet, number thirteen, they beat Florida State. Florida State's now one and three. Miami, yeah. on the other hand, taking four over oh. number thirteen, four and oh, wins over obviously Florida State, but also got a big win, a masterful the thirty one to six. A dominating win at Duke, who has tripped up a lot of teams in the ACC a couple of years. They got their biggest games in front of them, but their schedule looks incredibly easy. They, the only ranked teams they have right now are Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, and both of those are at home. So 
If you haven't gotten a chance to look at, and no Brad Kaya, for those of you who have seen them in recent years, Kaya's now gone. He's in the NFL. They got Malik <laughs> Rozier at quarterback. Miami's a fun team to watch right now, man. I have been watching Miami, and it's because of a bit of a homerism in me there, and that's the uh, that's the freshman, Jeff Thomas. He's an East St. Louis kid, familiar with him, very, very familiar go. with him, love watching him, so definitely been keeping a close, close eye on that. But yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a good game to watch them against Florida State. Florida State doesn't have a quarterback. So that's all it comes down to. <laughs> right. But, Without uh, the yeah, when they lost DeAndre Francois, yeah, it hurt. They lost. Hey, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, if you care about college football for college football and not necessarily the NFL draft, right now college football is set up like this: you got Alabama and Clemson, and then you got a bunch of teams, and there, there's plenty of arguments you for Penn State. Pick them. You can pick. You can pick Penn State, Georgia, Washington, TCU, Wisconsin, Washington State, Miami. I, they're all fine. They're all undefeated. Uh, you could take some of the one defeated teams. You could take Ohio State, Auburn, Oklahoma, USC, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Michigan. All of those are fine candidates. The problem is they're all fine candidates. That's if you're taking it from college football. If you're taking it from an <laughs> NFL standpoint, what makes it tough is you're seeing uh, big big teams and big prospects not put up major performances when their team kind of needs them in the off week. It takes like Sam Darnold or the offensive line for Oklahoma against Iowa State this week, or uh, you, you can go all the way back to, to Florida State's defense to start the year. If you had a big board of the top 50 going into this season, I don't know that more than a dozen of those guys are still there at this point, only because yeah. in these big losses that some of these teams have suffered, their big prospects have come up short. Yeah, and you know Sam, Sam Darnold. I I think I mentioned it last week, but I said you know Chief among coming them. into the season he was the number one quarterback. I think that he's probably failed, you know, because a lot of flaws are short. Yeah, I mean he was the man against a lowly Beavers team, but these other games where the team is even respectable slightly, sure, it, it, it hasn't been the case, you know. So it, it, I, I would agree with you. It's definitely a case of at this point in the season, six games in, five games in, depending on the team. Um, the, 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 a lot of a lot of boards are changing rapidly. You know, this is a this is the first time I've seen so many of the top names just kind of not do much. You know, I would Struggle. say the most consistent yeah. top name has been either Baker Mayfield or uh, Saquon. Yeah, Saquon. Yeah, Barkley's been dope. And that I think that's making it really interesting coming into this week. Now, you've got uh, nothing memorable on Wednesday or Thursday. No offense to Louisiana Lafayette and Texas State fans. South Alabama, Troy, you know I love my Southern football. Well, getting into Friday, you've got number two Clemson at Syracuse, which God bless Syracuse offense. Go with God. Be one with uh, your future self. Then you got number eight, Washington State at Cal. That might be watchable. The problem is it's at 1030 Eastern, so it's only going to be for our West Coast friends more or less. Saturday, not looking great, man. you got some early games. Uh, ABC's got Michigan, Indiana. Uh, ESPN's got South Carolina, Tennessee, none of whom are ranked light on NFL talent. Going to the middle games, Auburn, LSU. Auburn's now number 10. Uh, but LSU clearly is a flawed team that under Ed Orgeron is not making strides on offense. You got Georgia Tech at Miami. You got to think Miami holds, but we'll have to see against that triple option offense. Number 12, Oklahoma versus Texas uh, at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. One of those one of those games that has a soft spot in my heart, but clearly based on how the two teams have played this year, 
not the kind of Red River shootout fans would hope for. And then you get into the primetime games, none of them are really showing up that big. Arkansas unranked at Alabama. Missouri, no offense, Missouri, St. Louis, Mison, uh, area listeners at number four, Georgia. you got to think Georgia wipes that the way they've been playing. Utah at USC. It's just not shaping up to be a great weekend of football, but a lot of times that's either the, the, the games where you get the great upsets or the best time to get some scouting in, man, is to, to watch some of these games where you might get a prospect that you like. Who's somebody that's popped up the last couple of weeks that you're really interested in now that maybe you weren't going into something? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh should I have given you this ahead of time to do some research for? Do we need to save this for next week? I, I the crazy thing about it is, you know, I'm always scouting. You know, like I love to scout, and I actually have a notepad of names to, to dig into. A notepad. It's 2017, man. Get you a Google Doc, baby. I, I I I got a notepad that I keep that I keep things written down on. I would say one person that uh that stood out to me. Um, last weekend, and then again this weekend was uh, Joel Lanning from uh, Iowa State. Uh, I, I sure. never paid attention to this kid before, but the fact that he plays quarterback and middle linebacker, and you know, right. one game he had five. It's the most the Iowa State week, thing of all time, <laughs> <laughs> right? One game. Look, check this out. This because how often do you hear this stat? One week he has five touchdowns. Okay, the very next week. He has 20 tackles. <laughs> and the positions he did it at was quarterback one week and the next week middle linebacker. What? <laughs> Jeff so, Fisher yeah, is kid. dying to get back in the NFL game just to oh, get yeah. him. That's, that's a piece of He's very Tim Tebow-esque, <laughs> but he's a better passer, if, if, if that makes sense to people. You know, so is that, that's one name that's, that's on that list. But, no, next week I will give you five names that stood out to me. How about that? Let's do it. Here's what I would say. Uh, Georgia keeps doing it, man. Um, and, I, you know, when they when they beat Notre Dame by one point in the second week, and, and, you know, a lot of people were, like, excited about Georgia, and, hey, they got over this hurdle. They won their last three games versus Mississippi State, who at the time was number 17 in the country, 31-3. to three. Uh-huh. They went to Tennessee and beat them 41 to nothing. Then they went to Vanderbilt, who a lot of people, you know, granted they're Vanderbilt, but an improving Vanderbilt program and beat them into at Vanderbilt 45-14. to 14. If, you haven't, if you haven't watched Georgia football, they're starting to play the way that Georgia football hasn't. A couple of years ago, if you guys don't follow college football, there was this thing called Clemsoning, where Clemson would always find a way to, to despite their talent level, screw themselves out of college football uh, cre- what's the right word? Credence and credibility and respect. And Georgia kind of took on the mantle of that from the Noshon Moreno, Matt Stafford years into Todd Gurley and kind of beyond where Georgia is one of these powerhouses for talent that keeps sending people to the NFL but isn't getting it done at the college level. This could be the year. They got this game against Missouri this weekend. They got Florida after that, South Carolina. All three are at home. And right now, Georgia fans got to be pumped the hell up. We talked about the idea that the Rams Seahawks was the time for Los Angeles to show up. This is the time for Athens, Georgia to show the hell out. They got three games at home where they can improve to 9-0 and and set themselves going to Auburn in the middle of November to make a run at the SEC East. Man. Yep. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're gonna win, but if you haven't watched Georgia football in this offensive line, they got two freshmen on the right hand side, Solomon Kinley and Andrew Thomas. Get a look at Georgia, man. I'm just saying they might they might not get it done and, this year, 
But it seems like Kirby Smart is helping them turn a corner. And one more thing about Georgia. They have two of the top 30 quarterbacks in college football this year. Okay. Let that, take soak, it in easy. For a <laughs> Let that soak in for a minute. So they're set. <laughs> so there you go, Todd Gurley fans, Georgia fans. We give you all some love. <laughs> Deservedly. All right. So that's going to do it for oh, our college hold on, Mike. We, we, we didn't talk about the big game. We didn't talk about the big one. You're right. You're right. The eyes my of bad, the nation. Go ahead. <laughs> University of Texas, San Antonio at North Texas at Apogee Stadium. <laughs> I know you're going to be watching. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be so in tune. And busy. Just, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to be so wait. busy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Like, I'm just bursting with anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it was your, right. it's my boys. We're three and two. We're two and zero oh in Conference USA. Big game here at home. Uh, I'm talking North Texas football on the pie. It's, it's one of the clearly the uh, the fat smooth <laughs> has hit the third level of digestion, oh, and yeah. it's affecting my countenance. Just staring at Boris has infected your arteries. I can Boris, <laughs> you saw my boy Boris. See for everybody who doesn't know, <laughs> Boris is the uh, every year they bring the most overweight hog in the state of Texas to the state fair. And this year it was Boris. Shout out to Boris. Boris, here's the thing: we entered the state fair at ten o'clock in the morning. Boris was in the top right corner. He was he was already exhausted. The sun had barely risen at the state fair. We left <laughs> the fair six hours later. 100% chance Boris had moved all day. Boris's ass was just parked in the corner of a pen, struggling to breathe. Just, you know, all that pork fat weighing down his lungs, just. Oh, 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 oh. Boris been living the life for too long. <laughs> just not even living the opposite. Boris has not lived life in a long time. Just sleep and trying to get back to sleep. <laughs> Poor Boris. Oh man. Shout out to Boris. <laughs> Boris, the new unofficial mascot of Tertia Reda. That's all I got, man. Shout out to Texas. Love you. <laughs> shout out to Boris and uh shout out to Missouri for having better barbecue with Texas. And with that, that's gonna bring us to the end. Yeah. So <laughs> Harrison. Yeah. Treason. But so that's, that's gonna do it for us for this week. That's gonna wrap up Adultery. our show. Again, make sure that you're already Debauchery. tuning in for this Jags game. <laughs> it's gonna be a before, before, before the Rams go to the uh before the Rams face the Cardinals be, uh, right before the bye week. It's coming up on the halfway point of the season. So this is where football is gonna be the most important going into November. So again, this is a big game. Tune in for that. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, Mighty or Mice, follow Joe3K underscore, as well as follow the site at Turf Show Times. Uh, that's going to do it for us. And we out till next week. Holla.
bad Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dresses Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it. My moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc, and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night.
the fat smooth. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.